1: Happy New Year, listeners. This is Movie Oubliette, the continental corralling movie review podcast with me, Dan, starting the new year with January
0: down here in Melbourne, Australia. And me, Conrad, giving up on the idea of getting my dog off my bed in Cambridge, UK. Uh, in this podcast,
1: we chew over the finer things in life, obscure genre films, horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. Because Ron Perlman, being a lovable, vicious psychopath, just makes us <laughs> smile. <laughs> Hello, Conrad. Happy New Year.
0: Happy New Year, Dan. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, good, good. We are we, uh, uh, enjoying myself doing January, or attempting to do January this year, uh, which is... Yeah. Um, a uh, thing in in January where you have you you post a live jam um every day for January <laughs> so far i've done 5 and it's uh the 15th so not doing so well
0: yes but well you're doing better than i could i couldn't come up with one jam <laughs> in yeah
1: yeah so i mean I, it's generally a synth um sort of based challenge so may, mainly people doing synth jams with mini things Um, And, yeah, Yeah. I've never really done live jams with my synths before, so it's a new experience.
0: You're pretty good at it. I mean, you've got all the devices with the buttons that light up and everything. It looks great.
1: Yeah, yeah looks great, but, you know, <laughs> trying to... Well, I mean, it sounds yeah. good, too. Sorry, that sounded
0: like a backhanded compliment. <laughs> if I put it on mute, it looks great. It looks fantastic. Less said about the jams, the better. I'm oh, sorry, yeah. that is not what
1: I meant at all. <laughs> Well, it's, it's fun either way, no matter how terrible <laughs> it sounds. Um, so how's Amber doing? How's your dog?
0: Well, Amber, I noticed you, you're you doing your jams on your bed. Amber is now sneaking up onto my bed. Ooh. It started, we had the really bad cold snap here in the UK where it was minus seven oh, <laughs> for a few wow. days. Yeah, it was pretty bad. And uh, I woke up a couple of mornings and Amber was curled up, mm. just this little brown ball with... No feet or eyes or ears, just this brown furry ball just tucked in against my legs. And I thought, well, I can't be mean to her. She was cold. It was a survival thing. She wasn't going to make it through the night. But now it just seems like she thought, well, I got away with that. So I'm just going to do it every night now. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's how it happens. Yeah, once you let the first time slip
0: yeah. Uh, well, it's just it's downhill battle, really. There's no going back. Yeah. I'm sure she'll abandon me in the summer, but at the moment I'm waking up with a big pair of brown
2: eyes oh, <laughs> staring
1: at me, so which is really
0: cute. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, ah. um, anything in the mailbag today, Conrad? We did, yes. It's all about Santa Claus the movie, which of course will feel very anachronistic now, but we also have a new patron to celebrate. Uh, Taipan, welcome aboard. Welcome. Thanks for supporting the show. On Santa Claus the movie, we heard from Jimmy Salt, who was talking about the elves having shared sleeping accommodations, where at least three of them were sharing a bed and shifts and just, like, turning the nameplate. Mm. And uh, his comment was, imagine that bunkhouse under a black light. I'll see myself out. Happy <laughs> Christmas. <laughs>
3: oh. Oh, God.
1: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> all male. <my> uh <laughs>
0: just all you know. kinds of wrong. Yeah. We also heard from Copper Top Dan who said, I love this movie and Mancini's score is just timelessly glorious. Mm. Yes, it was. The music was probably one of the best parts, mm. I thought. Uh, Trevor Timmis replied to Coppertop Dan and said, Maybe, but the oubliette Christmas intro was a holly jolly festive delight and made this little elf very happy. <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you liked it
1: yeah it it always gives me a smile uh you know once a year when we bring it out
0: it's ridiculous i forget what it is until i hear you you know the finished produced episode when you deliver it to me for posting and i go oh yeah it's me pretending to be michael (laughs) yeah (laughs) and failing no succeeding (laughs) yeah And uh, we also heard from Carrie K. Heimbinas, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, who played Cornelia in Santa Claus, the movie. (laughs) Yes, she commented on our socials. She said, the 80s had really odd ideas about orphans, didn't they? (laughs) Anyone else think that Cornelia's nanny is screwed? The employer's gone, kid gone, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, yep. (laughs) she is absolutely right Mm, mm, yeah (laughs) and it was lovely to hear from her yeah
1: that's amazing
0: yeah and finally we had a comment from Serge of Cold Crash Pictures of course hello Serge happy new year Serge and he said movies that appeal to Christmas nostalgia have never really done it for me but I truly believe that Santa Claus the movie is a film about nothing for no one I'd say I didn't like it, except that would mean it made me feel something. Oh <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bit of a crinch there, Serge. Yeah. I'm sure he has a favourite holiday festive treat to watch, but Santa Claus the movie is not going to no, be it. Not that one. <laughs> no. But yes, thanks for writing to us. We always love hearing from you.
1: Yes, yes, we do. Uh, Before we uh, get
0: into the film today, I I believe we have someone to introduce. We do indeed. Yes, we are thrilled to say that we are joined today by a filmmaker, video essayist, freelance media specialist, and our own social media impresario. It is Isaac Sutton. Hello, Hello,
3: sir. Hello. Welcome back. Oh my gosh. That was so flattering. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like the prettiest belt of the ball. Oh, <laughs> Fantastic. I'm so happy to be here, y'all.
0: It's great to see you again. So since we last had you on the show, I believe you've moved cities.
3: I have. I uh, have transplanted from a little town called Mokina, Illinois, and now I am in San Antonio, Texas. Ooh. So officially back in my home state, you know, um, eating Wadburger and Tex-Mex and living the life. (laughs) It's great.
0: (laughs) So any good movies you've seen recently or things we should be looking out for?
3: I've been watching a lot of like Japanese movies. I've been watching like Lone Wolf and Cub, which is, you know, what the Mandalorian ripped off. There's like a little baby and a Mm -hmm. stroller and you can take off parts of the stroller and their knives and it's kind of like a kung fu Mandalorian wow. style wow. save the baby.
1: <laughs> I've always wanted to watch that movie. It's, yeah, a, it's it, a movie, right? Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, it's a series. There's like seven oh, of them. A <laughs> it's right. a series. It's wow. really pulpy and, and fun. I've been watching those through and they're pretty good. Um I watched The New Avatar, which is Batshit. <laughs> if you haven't watched the new avatar movie in a
1: good way or like
3: i don't know dan that's the thing (laughs) that's the thing it's like there's this moment where like the evil army guy from the last film comes back as a young avatar person and he comes across his own dead body and he picks up his own dead human skull and crushes it to dust in his hands Like wow. what that happens. That wow. happens in Avatar 2 Way of the Water.
0: Wow. <laughs> like... Oh wow.
3: Yeah, so James Cameron pulls no punches. We'll just okay. say that.
0: <laughs> so are you going to do a best media of 2022 video? Is that likely to come?
3: Correct. So I have written it Yay. and I will be making a best of twenty twenty-two video of all the movies and just general media that I have found especially great (laughs) over the past year. But, uh, you know, I'm in the filming process, so I'm hoping that'll be out by the 31st, but we'll see what life makes that happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you want to see something else from me, if you're like a video game dork, like I am, (laughs) um, (laughs) I really love uh, Super Smash Brothers. There's this game, Super Smash Brothers Relay. I watch people play that game competitively for money <laughs> and wow. pride. And oh. <laughs> I did a uh, like 30-minute long video essay on people who play as Captain Falcon <laughs> um, oh, wow. in that game. So if you're interested... Uh, look up Melee Mythos on YouTube. It's like <laughs> the main video. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, so that's some content you can tide you over while I'm working on this Top ten list.
0: Oh yeah, great. <laughs> I'm fascinated. Will it make sense to the uninitiated like myself? I
3: hope so. I did my darndest. <laughs> so okay. you know, if it doesn't, it's a failure on my part. I did my best so that my mom could watch it and she would just be into it. So
0: <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I see you have the requisite safety equipment on. So. I guess you can head on over to the Ed Isaac, and uh, find which movie we'll be doing this time.
3: Yeah, I gotta say, the garb is fitting. I app- I appreciate the <laughs> way it shapes my body. I don't know where <laughs> I'm going with that. Just, look, you gotta cut that part. <laughs> <laughs> That's taken. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here I go. I'm opening it up. <clears throat> what? It's not as cavernous as I expected. It's it seems oh. like I'm just kind of in a antique store full of yeah. weird religious artifacts. Oh right, uh,
1: <laughs> a little clock. Yeah.
3: Oh, I think I found the movie. It's just covered in roaches. Well, let me bust out my movie oubliette patented can of Raid.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Blast them!
3: <laughs> Get blasted, you roaches! <laughs> 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 what am I doing here, man? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Did you get All the right. movie? I got the movie, I got oh. the movie Alright, I'm heading back
3: out All,
2: right. All <laughs> right. Fuck, not my
0: nose again Well, that was oh, a close one That was heroin. <laughs> so what do you have for us, <laughs> Isaac?
3: So what I have for you today Is Kronos <laughs> Ooh,
0: 1993 ah. film
3: From Guillermo del Toro Wow. I've seen this movie before Here's a synopsis. In the mid-1500s, an alchemist, using a strange array of golden machinery and insects, creates a device that can grant the wielder eternal life for as long as they drink human blood. It's the typical, you know, alchemist (laughs) bullcrap. The device is lost in the 1930s when the building serendipitously collapses and a piece of shrapnel pierces the alchemist straight through the heart. It remains lost Mm. until 1996, when, by chance, a mysterious statue shows up on the doorstep of an elderly antique dealer named Jesus Gris. Now in the sights of a sinister businessman named Dieter de la Guardia and his nose-job-obsessed nephew, Angel, (laughs) Jesus and his granddaughter must stop the device from falling into his creepily, vaguely sick hands, keeping everything a secret from Jesus' tango-dancing wife? And fend off the need to eat a bunch of expired raw meat in the fridge. Who will come out on top? Find out in Kronos.
0: (laughs) Can't wait. After the break. After the break. And we're back to talk about Guillermo del Toro's first movie, Kronos. Isaac, you've chosen this film for us. You've seen it before, you say. When did you first see it, and uh, what impact did it have on you?
3: Sure. So, I love Kronos. I want to get that out the way at the top, right? Like, <laughs> I love Kronos.
1: <laughs> All right, that's the, that's the episode. Thanks uh, for yeah. Thanks, everybody. Oh. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Roll credits. <laughs> When I was in college, right, I decided I was going to grow a beard. And when I did this, right, my beard was kind of scraggly. I didn't know how to maintain it, right? <laughs> and everybody told me I started looking like Guillermo del Toro. Oh. <laughs> I had never watched a Guillermo del Toro movie. People would just constantly compare me to this guy. And I was like, I got to figure out who the heck this man is, right? Mm-hmm. So I watched Hellboy, and I loved it. Yeah, And I have started getting more and more into his films. Well, maybe, uh, I think, like, when the pandemic started, maybe maybe it was 2021. I don't know. All those years blur together. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I decided I was going to, like, dive into his deeper catalog. And I watched this movie, Kronos, for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it was just, like, a revelation to me, well, right? Sure. I had listened to interviews for a long time with del toro talking about all of his movies and all of his influences and he would always bring up chronos as like this major kind of like uh, touchstone in his career and so i was intrigued mm. and when you watch it it feels like this blueprint that like every other guillermo del toro movie comes out of <laughs> mm, <laughs> you know yeah it really feels like a kind of movie that super inspirational to me. This is Guillermo del Toro's first movie, right? It's made in like the early 90s in Mexico, right? Which means very little resources, very little experience. And when you think about the kinds of movies that were coming out in the early 90s from like auteur directors like this, None of them are as good as Chronos <laughs> mm. <laughs> to me, right? Like a lot of them are very much based in reality, feel their budget, feel like indie films, right? Mm. But Chronos has like all of these intense special effects, you know? It has a lot of thematic layering, mm-hmm. it has mm-hmm. a lot of a very clear visual identity, right? It's like so obvious. The way he's using colors, the way he's using uh, shapes and images and stuff like that. And I just think it's, like, probably one of the best debut films of, like, all time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think it's an exceptional debut. Yeah, yeah.
1: So Conrad, had you seen this movie before?
0: I saw it before, yeah, it's a similar sort of experience. So I guess I came to Del Toro through probably Hellboy first and then Pan's Labyrinth and mm-hmm. have gobbled up everything ever since. I didn't quite make it through his giant robots hitting dinosaurs movie. I just oh, yeah. oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> Pacific Red rules. I no. cannot
0: get through that. I'm afraid I pulled the eject button on that one. He seems to do this great thing where it's sort of one for me, one for them, and it sometimes it works. You know, the one for them is either Hellboy or sometimes the one for them is Hellboy 2 and you know mm. it's hit or miss. I've been a big fan of his and yeah eventually I got round when the Criterion collection came out I did circle back and rent Kronos just to see where where it all began mm. and it definitely is where it all began. I think he, he makes this, I mean the guy is just such a You know, he's got the soul of a poet and a philosopher. He has this wonderful comment in his making of interview where he says that your first movie articulates your universe. And it is all here. I mean, I watched Pinocchio today, and there are even things in that that harken back to Cronus. So Mm. it's pretty foundational. That said, it did not make a big splash when it came out. So it debuted in two theatres on the 1st of April, 1994. It eventually expanded to twenty-eight. The highest position it got was 23 in the box office in the US. Um, To give you some idea of what was topping the charts back then, as you were saying, Isaac, for context, uh, the number one film was Major League Two, and the number two film was D2, The Mighty Ducks. (laughs) So it's all about the sports sequels in 1994. So yeah, and the the box office was about half a million, depending on which report you go to, on a 2 million budget but it was mexico's submission for best international feature film at the 66th academy awards but uh, it wasn't nominated and the winner was belle Epoque, which of course we all remember so fondly how about you dan <laughs> never heard of that movie um <laughs> right
1: yeah no this is the first watch for me I, i've never seen it before i i, I don't know like i uh, it's been on my list for a while yeah, it has. i think it's been in the oubliette since the very beginning <laughs> i had like a dodgy pirated copy on a hard drive for years and years just never watched it and yeah i don't i don't know cuz i'm a huge del toro fan like i love his movies mm. i think yeah i think the first movie i watched was was probably Blade Two, which <laughs> yeah. I always forget is a Del Toro <laughs> movie because it's such a you know, it's it's Blade. You're like, Oh yeah, Del Toro did a Blade movie. Mm. But and I think Mimic used to be on T V, but I was like too scared to watch it at the time. You know, I didn't watch horror movies when I was a teenager. But yeah, I was hugely into Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. That's a nightmare, a beautiful nightmare to watch. <laughs> Yeah, very hidden misses movies, right? Um Crimson Peak, I watched recently, we we talked about in the Minnesota terrible movie. Just yeah. awful movie. But then like Shape of Water, you know, Oscar winning movie there. Like it's
3: <laughs> I mean, he's been on a hot streak in recent years, right? Like mm. you have Shape of Water. I watched Nightmare Alley.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. I think
3: that movie. It's crazy. Yeah. He's, like, doing all these noir tropes, but flipping them. And, like, it's, like, weird and magic and, like, all this crazy crap. Wow. And then Pinocchio,
0: Pinocchio. is, like, so yes.
3: exceptional.
0: So good. <laughs> Especially so good. when you compare it to that turgid plastic garbage that disney spewed <laughs> yeah. out the same year
3: no kidding it's is that nothing. the one with tom
0: hanks it's geppetto yes yes <laughs> joseph gordon as jiminy cricket
3: oh he's in that oh right. my god yes <laughs> i forgot yeah there's been
1: a lot of pinocchio movies recently because there's, there's yeah. another french one that came out like the previous year or something oh. yeah i don't was. know what
0: it is with pinocchio in hot demand <laughs> yeah. um, for a Big property. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it belongs to Del Toro now, for mm. sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh also good to hear Ron Pillman still in his yeah. movies. So yeah. good.
0: And Kate Blanchett is a screaming monkey.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes. I was looking oh at a, the credits gosh. like collect Kate Blanchett and Tilda Swinton in a movie. It's always either either <laughs> yeah. from, uh, when I watch movies it's like it's, is that Kate Blanchett? Oh no, it's Tilda Swinton. It's like, <laughs> oh it's, it's Kate Blanchett this time. Like it's, it's like they alternate between all these like fantasy roles. Yeah.
3: I guess all you have to do is make it so that one of them is a monkey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're thinking, you get know, all scot-free. <laughs> yeah.
1: Kronos was a delight to watch. It really was. Like, it was so much intent as well in this movie. Very mature filmmaking decisions that you would not normally see. in in a first movie as well and like just using a two million dollar budget really wisely yeah it doesn't look like a two million dollar movie it looks much more expensive
3: yeah i loved the behind the scenes on this movie just in general right like it showcases how much of a sacrifice this crazy film was right like He sacrificed his house. Mm. He sacrificed his car. Like, this man had, like, nothing by the time Chromos was over. Like, to make the inside of the bug, he sold his car and bought a bunch of mechanical parts and then got underneath a table and pushed up cow bladders to make it look like there was a bug. Wow,
1: (laughs) really? Wow.
3: It's like, that dude put it all on the line for this, like, very bizarre vampire movie. Like... Should we talk about that? Like- yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: they never mention it. It's a vampire movie, and it doesn't overtly scream, oh, This is a vampire movie. Uh, there's no like teeth or like there is sucking of blood, but it's done in a very kind of almost like fetishy, like seductive way. But not in a sexy, fetishy way. No, (laughs) not at all. You know, there's no sexy vampires in this. No. Because when I first watched it, I didn't even really catch on that it was vampires. Mm. Because it's kind of verging on like zombies and sort of a... Cronenberg the fly aspect with transformations and insects and stuff so it's a bit of everything. It is
0: yeah there are a lot of influences in there thematically it's been linked to drug addiction Mm. it's reduced this man this lovable grandfather figure who's central to the story not surprisingly it's Guillermo del Toro there is a young child and a grandfather (laughs) it's just and the child is mute so yeah shape of water hello it's a regular theme, but the grandfather is reduced, I mean there's the scene, the most famous scene is the one where he's in the bathroom Mm. and uh, he's sort of like playing with the blood from somebody's nosebleed. Mm. And it, it almost looks like he's scooping it up and lying it up, you know, like a line of Coke in a bathroom ah, next to the yeah, sink. Yeah, and yeah. eventually, because he's interrupted, he ends up sucking it off the floor. You know, it's as awful and pathetic as you can get. So, yeah, I think Del Toro himself said, this is not a sparkly guy stopping cars. This is a grandfather sucking blood off a toilet. Mm. It's mm. not glamorous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't the sort of
1: drug addiction aspect until the second time I watched it but mm. it really is like the, the contraption the Kronos device is, is like it's a needle that injects this eternal life serum into him but then yeah. he also has this craving for blood so he's addicted to the the device and blood Yeah, it's not until like I mean huge spoilers here like his granddaughter is on the line for uh, his next feast where he you know says no this is this is wrong
2: yeah.
0: yeah interesting that the device that spouts uh stinger is something that david Bruckner borrowed for the new version of hellraiser oh, oh did he oh yes okay. there's quite some similarities with the new hellraiser and Kronos, it has to be said
1: right 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 i mean the device itself amazing like it's- Everything is practical effects, right, in this movie. Yeah.
3: I think the world-building of Kronos, so much of it relies on the props and the sets (laughs) that they are using, Mm. right? Like, it feels like its own little world. Mm. Right after he uses the device for the first time, right, he starts getting, like the need for a fix and he opens up the refrigerator and there's this like the first like really red object in the entire film this like disgusting looking plate of meat why is it in their fridge i don't know it's horrific who would leave that
0: in their fridge i mean i'm a (laughs) vegan so this is never gonna happen but wow yeah that is foul
3: it looks (laughs) disgusting right and like I just think that that scene itself is such a great example of really, really competent filmmaker doing what he does best, right? Because it's the first time you really hit, like, Red in the movie, and it's all about Mm. this man's, like, straight-up addiction. And every other time you see Red going forward, it's representative of this man's struggle with whether or not he's going to try and live forever and, like, fall into his own, like, greed Or if he's going to do the selfless thing and, like, (laughs) you know, release himself from this device, which is a hard choice because the right thing, right, will kill him, Mm. (laughs) you know, which I think brings me to, like, something else that I found insane about this movie is, like, it is kind of intensely (laughs) Christian-Catholic- movie right i mean they're not subtle about it like the guy's name is jesus yeah you you know like his name's jesus one of the bad guys names angel yeah (laughs) you know guardian angel Uh, as well yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. like there's, there's they're all religious names right mercy is in there like mercedes and like dawn i think is like the name of the daughter she's like a new dawn and like all of this stuff right like he pulls so many visual metaphors out of these religious iconography and the chronos device is found in like this deteriorating broken up angel statue and stuff
0: Mm, it's set at christmas as well
3: yeah set at christmas goes into the new year Right, so it's a New Year's movie. Welcome, Happy New Year.
0: (laughs) Jesus is resurrected after three days.
3: Yes, right. He comes back after three days, and then his hands, right, like, the device claps onto his hands, like, the nails they put in Jesus' hands. Mm. And, like, you know, it's not subtle with the visual metaphors, right, about, like, self-sacrifice and, like, self-interest, right?
1: I think it is kind of subtle in terms of, like, not being too overtly religious. Yeah. Like there's not crosses everywhere, sure, <laughs> I don't know. I think it could have gone further yeah uh, I, yeah I, I, th- it, it, I didn't i didn't it definitely yeah.
3: could have gone further, yeah, right? I guess what I was trying to say is more like. It's not like blink and you'll miss it. No, (laughs) (laughs) no, definitely not.
0: I mean, it's not as overt (laughs) as the new Pinocchio where he gets crucified (laughs) at one
3: point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I just think that that's a really cool foreshadowing, Mm. just in general, right? Because there's many points in the film where you're looking at this guy and you're like, you question whether or not you're supposed. At least I did personally. I question whether or not I'm supposed to feel sympathy or not for this grandfather figure. Because at many points, his granddaughter is like, please don't be a vampire, please. (laughs) (laughs) You know, please leave the gold-studded scarab at the door and like just be my grandpa. And the grandmother, right, I think. It's kind of weird, the relationship between... the lead character and his wife but she clearly is like trying to pull him away from this like device and this lifestyle and he just gets further and further into it and uh i think that there is this kind of big question on whether or not he's going to like just become a vampire from this point forward or if he's going to do the right thing Mm. and having this like self-sacrifice visual language throughout the whole top of the film i just think it's kind of smart and poetic and it's a nice touch yeah
0: yeah with hastys i'm never quite sure whether he sold on the idea of immortal life Certainly not in the same way that Dieter is. I mean, Dieter is this American corporate guy seeking the Kronos device that he can live forever. I'm not sure Jesus is particularly keen on this. Mm. I think he's just reacting to a physical need that he can't quite control himself. I think he enjoys the fact that he gets younger, he shaves his moustache off, he bins the little cute bow tie that he's wearing at one point and dances with his wife, if that is his wife. I'm never really sure yeah. what I the think relationship it is. is. I think
3: it is,
1: yeah. Yeah. It's quite an age difference. Like she doesn't look the same age as him. Yeah. I, I thought the the fact that he was getting younger was quite subtle. Like it wasn't like a Hollywood thing where he looks like twenty years younger. Mm. He just kind of makes a few adjustments to how he presents himself and he has definitely got a lot more energy um sort of youthful energy like he's much more sprightly so it's more like a mentality change with him. Mm. But then, you know, then he starts shedding his skin and becoming like <laughs> this weird white <laughs> porcelain-like <laughs> creature. There's a lot of body horror in this movie. I was really surprised. Like, 90s wasn't really about body horror.
0: No, it's very Cronenbergian. I mean, certainly mm. you get the Videodrome reference with him thrusting a hand into his midriff at one point, and And yeah. it's very much like The Fly as well with Dieter hol- mm-hmm. the, uh, mm-hmm. storing bits of himself. In jars. Why is he doing
3: that? (laughs) What's the point? It's really creepy.
0: Yeah. So he he's very very
1: sick. Right. He's gone through lots of surgeries and whatnot to Mm. you know take out organs and (laughs) to stay alive. He's like barely alive. Um. And but he wants to keep living with the Kronos device. So I mean, how does the Kronos device work? It's it's got a bug in it. The (laughs) bug injects something in you. You live forever but then the bug needs you as a host, or or how how does it all work?
3: Yeah, they keep it vague. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, they keep it purposefully vague, which I think is better than if they had actually just spelled it out and were like, the bug's a filtration device, or you know what I mean? Like, it just told you, like... There is this mystical element and part of that too is like there is clarity to what the Kronos device does and exactly how you're supposed to use it, mm. but it's held in the hands of Dieter, <laughs> who is like keeping it all for himself and like refuses to give it away and at one point destroys the truth about the Kronos device, right?
0: Yeah, he eats it, doesn't he? Yeah, he eats the pages.
1: Yeah, yeah. He eats yeah. it. <laughs> eats it.
3: Which I think is just a another like really smart move for this character who kind of has all of this thrust upon him as an audience member you are also kind of captivated by the mystery of what's happening to this guy hmm. who doesn't want this to be happening to him
1: yeah yeah i i think that's what i like about movies like this where they don't show everything or they, they don't explain everything so you keep having to watch the movie over and over yeah to kind of get it like i i don't think i i got the religious sort of um themes the first time i watched it or the addiction theme the first time i watched it like Mm. because it does hinge a lot on the character dynamics which was really interesting like that's what guillermo del toro is very good at he makes these horror movies and fantasy movies but it's not really about all of the creatures and magic and stuff going on. It's about the characters. I love the dynamic between the grandfather and the granddaughter. Yeah. Mm. It's so touching. It's so touching. It really reminded me of more European movies. Mm. Like I was uh, kind of reminded of City of Lost Children that we've done. Yeah. The Little Girl and Ron Perlman again. <laughs> Oddly enough, um, Yeah. Yeah, even the scene with Ron Perlman in this movie and Aurora, the girl, like, that's a really great scene. He's, like, playing with gum and... And then he goes and, and like, I have an important question. And he pulls out these nose cards <laughs> yeah. that he puts to his face like because he wants a nose job. Yeah, yeah, really, really touching scenes in this movie. I really love the characters and how they interacted.
0: Yeah, and it seems like a weird character quirk, doesn't it? But it, eventually it pays off because you realize that his uncle keeps breaking his nose yeah. with his cane. So that's why yeah. he wants a nose job.
3: And, and also like <laughs> Del Toro puts all of these other kinds of vampires in his vampire movie right like they have a weird vampiric relationship too where pearlman's character is trying to like suck the life out of his ailing uncle so that he can get all his money Mm. and the ailing uncle is like parasiting off of his nephew so that he can obtain this device and he's being abusive and all of this stuff he has him in his thrall you know like a vampire would Mm. and they run this like really weird factory (laughs) right which is like this industrial vampirism right it kind of feels like the della guardia empire is like vampiring off of the rest of the (laughs) world Mm. Uh, Of Mexico. Mm. I just think that that's smart. It's also so insanely del Toro. Yeah. (laughs) To make the like human capitalists the real vampires. Like, yeah. I think that that is like a classic del Toro move that he was pulling back in 1993 with his first feature debut. Like, I cannot imagine having this kind of a complexity in my debut feature. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's a lot of layers for a debut yeah when you watch christopher nolan's uh, the following or you watch even something like reservoir dogs i don't know if they exist on this many levels <laughs> you know
1: yeah 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 there's there's a lot of depth in this movie but i think ron Perlman mentioned it like this was a completely independent film like they didn't have any studio intervention or anything it was they made the film they wanted to make Mm. And with the right director like Guillermo del Toro, it ends up being a really good movie. (laughs)
0: It's not without its sacrifices, though. Sure. The interesting thing about this is that it is nascent del Toro. It is not fully formed del Toro. The things that bother me about it the most watching it is just that there's beauty here, but it's at the expense of narrative clarity. There are a lot of things that happen and I have no idea why they happen. Yeah. The connective tissue is missing. So, for example, why does Jesus crave the Chronos device again after it stung him the first time? He seems to want to use it, but there's absolutely no justification for it all. Why does Angel trash his shop? Is he trying to find the device? That's not made clear. How does Jesus know that it's him? How does he make that connection?
3: Yeah. My biggest gripe with all of that in general is at the very end of the film where he's having this like fight with Angel on top of the factory, why does he give a crap? Mm. (laughs) Angel has everything he wants. Yeah, Yeah.
1: that was my biggest question. Yeah, like, why doesn't he just walk away? Yeah, I mean,
3: Angel's uncle, you know, again, spoilers. I mean, obviously, this podcast is riddled with spoilers at this point. (laughs) But, like, they have this big confrontation, right? Jesus is, like, basically full vampire mode. His skin is rotting off of his face. It's nuts. And his daughter is there with him, and they confront de la guardia at the factory and are like tell me how to stop this tell me how to fix this or whatever and they get in this fight and de la guardia ends up getting hit in the back of the head by the granddaughter and angel comes across his dying uncle and he just kind of gives him a final little yeah, to the neck so that he yeah, just yeah. dies and he can get all the money yeah. and i guess my only rationalization is that he sees that jesus and the granddaughter saw him kill his uncle, so he has to go and kill them, maybe? But at this point, it's a very vague justification for, like, at this point, Angel, he turns on Jesus and the daughter and, like, decides he's gonna kill them both? I don't know. It's a weird moment. Yeah,
0: and it leads to a moment that is um, probably the most obvious influence, because this is full-on high-ladder, immortals fighting on a neon sign on top of a building. Oh, yeah, at least this yeah, time yeah, it's so. poignant, because it's della Guardia with a clock in the middle, so mm. there are a lot of clocks in this movie. So at least it ties in mm-hmm. thematically, but it's, yeah, obviously an influence there. The thing that really bugs me is that everybody seems to accept Jesus' situation as normal, particularly particularly Aurora, who is just waiting for him when he's resurrected. She's not even surprised. She's got a towel. She's emptying out her toy box so that her grandfather can sleep in it like a makeshift vampire's coffin. Mm. It's very peculiar. And the movie ends with a beautiful shot that looks like a religious painting mm. of Jesus finally coming to rest, having, as del Toro puts it, expressed the thing that separates us from the animals is choice. And he has chosen this and not to take the blood out of his granddaughter in order to carry on living, he's going to pass away. So there's this beautiful shot of him lying in state like a saint with Mercedes over the top of him. Now, surely she's been a grieving widow for the last act. Mm -hmm. She's not surprised by this. She's fine with it. This is all good. You know, her husband's this weird marble monster all of a sudden. She's fine with that. There's a massive lack of narrative clarity. And that's not to say that that is essential in a movie like this. But when you compare it to something like Pan's Labyrinth, where you have all of these elements and the thing is narratively as tight as a drum. Yeah. But, you know, it's his first movie. So oh. I, I don't know. It's tricky. I don't want to be too harsh on it because it's still an impressive piece of work. But it, when you compare it to everything that, well, most of the things that he's done afterwards... It's not great. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. I really enjoy
1: flawed movies, though, especially from directors that are so brilliant. So I don't know. I give those a pass. I mean, Angel uh, fighting with um Jesus is pointless, but like, apart from that, I don't know. It was quite refreshing having a child that just, wasn't scared like Mm. the grandmother was just so brave and just i don't know i feel like children will accept stuff like that especially because her love for her grandfather was so huge Like, that was kind of the clincher of the movie, like, their bond and their relationship was just so strong that it overcame, oh, my grandfather's a vampire now. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Like, and I think that there is supposed to be implied, like, this vague mysticism to their relationship specifically, where she just kind of understands... like him and where he's at at all points. Of time. You know what I mean? Like- yeah.
0: Yeah. She's like a mute savant. And it does have to be said that she is the hero throughout the whole thing. Like, yeah, she's the one that attacks the cockroaches that come out of the statue. When Jesus flinches at them, she's the one that finds the alchemist's book when jesus says to her don't you realize we're in danger when they're about to go into the della guardia lair and she just smiles and nods it's like this is fine (laughs) (laughs) let's just let's just go for it and yeah she's the one that kills dita so she is she's the hero of the piece really Yeah. yeah so i guess you could give her some sort of mystical awareness of everything that's going on it could just be that it isn't quite as narratively tight as it yeah, could be
3: which i totally agree all of those holes are there yeah. <laughs> like they definitely exist right but a lot of the movie in general is just kind of tone setting <laughs> you know and is inherently unexplained that i think i forgave it a lot easier for that because normally i am very much like uh if this movie doesn't have a freaking plot like A plotty plot that I don't care, <laughs> Like <laughs> I, I don't want to watch a wimbly wombly piece of garbage. Yeah, give me something to latch on to. And I think, like Dan was saying, you know, the characters and the performances are so good that
1: yeah. you kind of disregard the flaws. Yeah,
3: yeah, that I disregard the flaws, right? Like, so many aspects of this movie are intentionally. Under like six veils, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that like I was just kind of uh, like, yeah it doesn't really matter why they destroyed the shop. You, d- it, it makes sense they're evil, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> exactly. uh, you know. Yeah, so similar
1: to the last scene in this. Yeah, it makes no sense. Like his wife should be like freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she should be in the corner rocking back and forth. Like what the fuck, my husband's <laughs> yeah. a vampire now? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: I mean, at the same time, you say it's uh, uh, the whole thing is about tone setting. Do you not find the tone inconsistent? I love the I tone. I think the tone's great. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it goes from like,
1: yeah, beating this guy to a bloody pulp to like comedic like oh i've got my suit on backwards and i'm just gonna keep it on for the rest of the movie (laughs)
3: yeah there are really serious characters that you're supposed to take as like real dramatic characters and then they're also nonsense like i'm the bad guy who is craves plastic surgery (laughs) or like yeah yeah you know like it is like a wildly shifting tone Mm. it still feels cohesive to me (laughs) yeah me too me
1: too like i like i said before like it did feel very european like i I find like like french movies are like this all the time like Delicatessen, that movie It's very like grim and dark, but then very comedic at the same time. Mm. And I, I really enjoy that.
0: Yeah, but this isn't as consistent. There's a section in the middle of it where it is mm. around about the time that Jesus dies and is resurrected. For a moment, it feels very much like a Jeanne and Ecaro movie. Mm, sure. But before that, it's a lot less fanciful than that in Act One. And a lot grittier in Act 3. So I don't know. It's a little bit inconsistent. Mm. Not that it threw me out of it, but it's not what Del Toro would become. Mm. I don't dislike it. I do think it is inconsistent, though. Mm. It sort of Mm -hmm. veers wildly from one tone to another without pulling it together under under an envelope that allows something like The Devil's Backbone to work so well.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, I mean, one character that does kind of shift the tone quite a lot is is Ron Perlman's character. Yes. What did you think about this American actor just in this completely Spanish-language movie set in Mexico?
0: It's brave of him. I love the way that Ron Perlman, in his interview, he talks about his life before. He divides his life into life before del Toro mm. and life after and says that he changed his life. And they've been remarkably devoted to each other ever since, which is great. I've always loved seeing him and things. Yeah. Yeah. I liked what Del Toro said in the interview about how this was his reversal of the typical Mexican in an American movie is always greedy and stupid. So his sole Americans in in his Mexican movie are greedy and stupid, (laughs) which I kind of like. I mean, it's amazing that Perlman, because he was an established actor. I mean, had he done Beauty and the Beast at this point?
3: I'm not sure. I believe he had.
0: Yeah, Yeah, so he was an established actor and here he is in this weird Mexican guy's movie he just throws himself into it. it. Clearly, Spanish is not a language he's particularly comfortable <laughs> mm, in. Yeah, But it kind of works that he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah,
1: yeah it's, it's funny to see him in yet another completely non-English speaking role because he was in City of Lost Children, a completely French movie as well. Yeah, Whereas he does speak Spanish in this movie. It's not always English. Yeah. Um, but it does that curious thing where like Mexican characters are speaking spanish to him and he's just replying in english and they're under everyone just understanding each other for some completely unknown yeah <laughs> like a spaghetti western yeah yeah but i mean i really i love the story um that ron perlman tells in the in behind the scenes of how he got the role he got some letter that was like detailing all of these roles like his whole back catalog that he would try to you know hide like the Weird. What was there Space Truckers or something? <laughs> One really bad movie he was in. Um, and then he was he he flew down to Mexico to meet Guillermo del Toro, and he said, "Yeah, so what language is this?" And, and he's like, Oh, it's, it's Spanish. He's like, I, I don't speak Spanish. He's like, it's fine, let's eat. And then <laughs> they scrap for lunch. And then that night, Ron like memorizes a whole huge passage of, of the film in, in Spanish and practices and practices. And the next day, he goes to Guillermo, he, he says his lines in Spanish. And Guillermo's like smiling and nodding. And then Ron Pillman asks him, Oh, so how did they go? How was it? How was it? And Guillermo just replies, oh, it's terrible. horrible, The most horrible Spanish. Unusable. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes, let's eat. And then they just go out for lunch again. It's just it's <laughs> hilarious. It's so hilarious. <laughs> now it's time for Random Trivia.
0: Okay, Dan, what wonderful golden nugget of trivia did you find rattling around in your religious statue today? <laughs>
1: Well, uh, Ron Perlman is in this movie. I don't think I I watch enough Ron Perlman movies because I really enjoyed him in this. But (laughs) did you know he is quite a prolific uh, voice actor as well? So he's done a number of characters, Ah. voiced a number of characters in animated movies and TV shows. Uh, and some of these characters include Clayface, Killer Croc, and Bane from several '90s and uh, 2000s Batman series. Wow. Uh, he's he's done he's revised his character of Hellboy in animated movies. Uh, he he oh. voiced Scorpion from uh, Mortal Kombat: Defenders Defenders <laughs> of the Realm. He did the Hulk, Bruce Banner, and <laughs> Fantastic Four the animated series. Uh, Optimus Primal from Transformers. Power of oh. the Primes, 2018. The Demonic Lich in Adventure Time. Um, that's Ron Perlman? That's Ron Perlman, <laughs> yep. And what? he's also voiced uh, Deathstroke and Slade, uh, Slade Wilson in Justice League, the Flashback Paradox. Oh, oh, also uh, Sinestro from Green Lantern, the animated series. So he's, he's done a lot of very famous characters yeah. in Animated.
3: Wow. wow, medium. That's crazy.
0: I did not
1: know
3: that. It's got a good that's voice. That's amazing. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. Great voice. Oh yeah,
0: definitely. <laughs> and that's our trivia. Yes.
1: I guess we could touch on the score again. I thought it was very European sounding, with like sort of tinges or tinges of like Latin dance themes and like like tango, but. Kind of an orchestra, like it wasn't, I don't think it was a full orchestra, but at least like a, a big chamber orchestra. Sometimes, lots of like woodwind yeah. in there, and yeah, I think there was prepared piano at one point. What were your thoughts on the score?
0: I wasn't a fan. It smacked of me of somebody who didn't know how to do film scoring. Just in terms of when cues come in and what they're doing when they come in, Like it's too strident, too much, wrong place. It almost felt like needle drops that have been put randomly in the wrong place in the movie sometimes. Yeah. right? I looked up the guy and Javier Alvarez, he's a, apparently a very famous composer, but a classical composer. Uh-huh. So he's very much a contemporary musical figure. But he hasn't scored another feature film since documentaries. Yes, mm. I'm sure he's a wonderful musician. But no,
1: yeah, I enjoyed the score in this movie. I thought it was great. I, mean- <laughs> I thought it was a bit on the nose sometimes, like a little bit too comedic at times. Yeah, uh, for the the comedic moments, but I I, I really enjoyed. It. I I like the kind of the the South American sort of Latin twinge to it. It set the scene. And I thought some of, like, uh, more soundtrack choices, like when they had the actual sort of songs or traditional, like... Latin band music was really funny. Mm. Like the mortician scene, that music choice was really funny. So I don't know. I I thought the music was... It wasn't exceptional, but I think it worked really well.
3: I think I probably tend to hang more with Conrad on this one. Mm -hmm. Like, I hear exactly what you're saying about, like, it's like an awkward needle drop, (laughs) Mm. you know, but without needle drop music. (laughs) It serves its purpose. It does what it does. You know what I mean? But I don't come away from Kronos going... God, that score. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure, I mean, sure. I, I come away from Kronos going like, wow, I really love the color grading i love the thematic layers i love mm. the cool take on vampires but i don't go away going like man that score just knocked my socks off you know like <laughs> that's just not the lead
2: sure, sure, <laughs> so, sure.
3: but one thing i did want to say before because i assuming we're about to head over to the mood please <laughs> <laughs> i think It is such a cool, innovative casting decision to center this movie around an elderly gentleman in his, like, kind of twilight era. You don't see a lot of horror movies based around elderly people as the main characters, right?
1: Uh, Lynn Shay will disagree with that. But, um,
3: <laughs> really?
1: Yeah. She seems to be like the it uh, elderly uh, woman to be in horror movies these days. She's in like every horror movie. As like the
3: lead? Yeah, as the <laughs> lead.
1: She's, okay. in, she's in a lot of the, like all the Insidious movies as, as the lead. Um, uh, and uh, like she was in the new Grudge remake, which is horrible. Okay. Um, as one of the main characters.
3: Maybe my, I'm just out of my depth. I haven't seen any of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, it, it is uncommon, though. Yeah. And yeah. I do feel like much, it's more common in foreign language films mm. to have sort of older characters. Mm. I think it, maybe it's more of a cultural thing. Like mm. older people in European culture and, and even in, in like South American, um, you know, Central American cultures, they're much more respected. Mm. Whereas in Western culture, we just ship our old people mm. to old folks, forget <laughs> about them, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do think it's a foreign language, um, sort of more popular choice. Like, yeah. uh, I watched Cat of Nine Tales* recently, which is an Argento movie, and the main character is an old guy and his granddaughter. Mm. So, I don't know, it seems like yeah. not a Hollywood choice to make right. normally. Right, mm.
3: which totally tracks. I mean, the whole concept of like a teen slasher or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, when I think of horror, American horror specifically. Nineties Like.
1: Yeah. This is the wrong character choice for the 90s for horror. You, don't, mm. you need some hot teenagers. You don't <laughs> want an old man and a little girl.
0: <laughs> yeah. Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Moobly Award.
1: It's the Moobly Awards. It's where we present our favorite eternal life-giving parts of the film in a number of addictively piercing categories.
2: Best quote.
3: My favorite quote in the film, (laughs) I think, is also Del Toro's favorite quote in the film. Uh, They're at the New Year's Eve party, and um, his wife asks him, Oh, where are you going? Right? He sees the guy with the nosebleed, and he goes, To get a drink.
2: (laughs) <laughs> oh
3: so <yeah>. ominous <laughs> love great super good <laughs>
1: yeah yeah
0: conrad uh mine was from the wonderful ron perlman i'm afraid it isn't uh <laughs> safe for work But uh, it's when he finds out that uh, the object of his uncle's obsession is the Kronos device and what it supposedly does. He laughs uproariously and says, that fucker does nothing but piss and shit all day long. And he wants to live longer. (laughs) 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 That's great. Which is crude and hilarious, but it... It also underlines one of uh, del toro's key themes in the movie which oddly enough is picked up again in pinocchio which is that the chronos device might give you time it doesn't necessarily give you a life
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting mm. my favorite quote it's it's probably the one of the funniest moments for me in this movie it's uh, it's when ron perlman he's he's just relaxing in his what looks like a, a storage cupboard hovel Uh, where he sleeps there's a bed a microwave a fridge and and some like lockers Uh, it looks awful like come on (laughs) I thought his his (laughs) uncle was a, a wealthy industrial magnate but anyway he's just relaxing listening to tapes about um, plastic surgery or something, <laughs> yeah. um, and his, un- yes. his uncle radios and uh, get up here immediately. And uh, which Ron Pillman, um exclaims, not talking into the uh, radio receiver, he just he just shouts, "Fucking cocksucking son of a bitch, asshole, motherfucker!" <laughs> <laughs> that, that last word in Spanish. But then he, he, you know, calmly just replies to his uncle, "I'll be right there." Uh, and it's just it's such a really good comedic sort of timing and, and pacing I, I love it yeah best hair or costume
3: well I had on there the giant clock man from the New Year's Eve party
0: oh yes yes <laughs> yes, yes, um, yes that's a good he's pick he's just such
3: a weird so it's so odd <laughs> Do people normally come to New Year's Eve parties dressed as clocks? Nobody else in the party is dressed like a clock.
0: No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe just in Mexico. Guess, yeah, it's like is this a th- Mexican
3: culture thing? You know, co- leave your comments down below. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like- <laughs> uh
1: my favorite costume, I think it's Ron Perlman's. Uh when he's he's wearing that kind of pinstripe gray like it looks like a what like a 1920s gangster um mm. like full mm. suit but he's got like the a, a turtleneck underneath um, yeah. i mean he yeah. yeah he looks amazing
3: <laughs> it's great it's a great costume most 90s moment
0: for most 90s, oddly enough, you've mentioned it already, Dan, it's Perlman wearing a suit, but with a
2: turtleneck.
0: Oh. <laughs> Is that a 90s thing? Wow.
1: Okay, I didn't know it that. It really was, yeah.
0: No, I looked it up, it really was. Just You can find Justin Timberlake in a turtleneck, but with a jacket. Ah, it's a thing. Right, that's
1: funny. Yeah, okay. 90s for you, Isaac?
3: For my most 90s, I went with, like... Um, Campy cartoon villains, but in a live action movie. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I think there was a lot of that going around. You know, think about like the Batman movies and stuff like that. Oh, we, yeah, we were really playing fast and loose about what was a cartoon and what was not. <laughs> you
1: yeah, know? sure, very sure, true. Sure. Yeah, my most 90s wasn't really most 90s, but maybe the last decade that you got to see this. Um, so Aurora listening in on the same telephone line. You know how you could p- pick up a set sa- a phone in the same house and listen in and just, you know, be careful not to <laughs> breathe too heavily. Yeah. Otherwise they would know. <laughs> <laughs> or laugh. You yeah, know yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, get off the phone, Mom, I can hear you. you know. <laughs> Favorite scene
3: It's gotta be the bathroom blood licking, right? Like it's all oh, right. Oh, okay. It, oh, it's inc- it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's it's disgusting it's horrific i mean it's everything that the movie represents (laughs) like Mm, uh mm, i'm a big fan of the bathroom blood licking scene it's it's crazy Um,
1: yeah 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 i mean sort of leading up to that as well with so he follows the guy with the bleeding nose into the bathroom and he's just bleed everywhere on the sick um basin this man loses like a
3: three pints of blood (laughs) yeah and he leaves and and
1: jesus is just kind of yeah like you see conrad is scooping it up like a line of coke or whatever um but then another uh another character walks in the bathroom and so he you know has to pretend that he's not he's not about to lick this (laughs) bloody bathroom thing. (laughs) and the guy just like oh what a mess and he just like cleans it up with his hands I'm not touching that. I'm not touching (laughs) someone else's
0: (laughs) big pool of blood. Wow.
1: No, definitely not.
0: (laughs) Conrad? For me, it's the mortuary scene. Oh, yes. Which is, you know, because there's the grotesque sewing the lips together. and, And also the mortuary attendant himself is just this great character. He just looks so scummy and he's what i love is that he's like slapping this plaster scene on the grandfather's (laughs) head and there's some guy behind him sort of complimenting his artistry and then when you finally see it in this open casket scene later on it's it's just comically bad it's it's hideous absolutely hideous and ron perlman comes in and pinches his nose to see if he's really dead i all of that i loved it because it just suddenly turned into a, a, as i said as you know yeah movie it was just i thought oh okay it's the city of lost children all of a sudden yeah. <laughs> let's just let's just do that for 20 minutes most cliche moment
3: the main character at their lowest moment walks through a rainstorm at christmas time oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> That was all the time. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Alone at Christmas, is there anything (laughs) else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, For me, I've alluded to it before. It is when you're searching somebody's place to find something, you completely wreck it. Like, (laughs) throw everything around, break things. Like, just... Give away that you've done it, and second of all, make the methodical searching of a place completely impossible, (laughs) because you're making a mess. I mean, to me, it just pushes all my OCD buttons and just makes me really upset. Like, how are you going to methodically search a place if you're just throwing shit around? (laughs) Ugh, hate it. Yeah, yeah.
1: Hate it. mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, My cliche is very obvious. Uh, Bugs and horror. Mm. it's a horror you gotta have cockroaches and all sorts of insects and i mean the the, the device itself is an insect so yeah bugs and horror yeah. <laughs> best special
3: effect i'm a big fan of uh the device itself yeah um yeah it's just so i mean it's the central point of the movie basically and they really put a lot of detail into it you know it feels like exactly as it should <laughs> you yeah, know ominous yeah. otherworldly mechanical but also weirdly biological like it's got a lot of energies that all feel like they work and um it's just really good it's a really cool special effect. um mm,
1: yeah i like yeah. i like the the how the leaks came out and like it looks painful like it yeah. looks like he's actually getting yeah. <laughs> pierced uh, and and how it goes into the device and you have these massive cogs like turning and this weird bug pulsating it's yeah, yeah. and it, and just knowing it's all practical it's it, it just ages really well for sure
0: yeah and that del toro sold his car just to get that internal picture yeah. shot yeah. and then forgot about the cow guts and <laughs> left them in this <laughs> studio that they'd rented and then they Came back after there were complaints and had oh, to get wow. out. Really? <laughs> oh wow!
2: Really? Oh god! Yeah. So gross. Oh god.
0: So
1: gross.
2: Favorite sound
3: effect.
1: I mean, sound effect. I would also pick the device. I mean, all of those clicks and shings and metal clangs. Oh, it's it's just like sound design, ASMR. It's amazing.
0: I love it. <laughs> I picked something that was that's like the opposite of ASMR. The scene where he has this itch he just cannot scratch with the bandages, and he's biting at them, and the teeth on tight bandage noises, which is like, but I knew that they were doing it for a very specific reason, which was they wanted to irritate you. Oh, right. Audibly in the way that he was irritated physically. It just Yeah. Uh, the sound yeah, effects were really it. good. It was very good. Uh,
3: like Ooh, I yeah. my my pick was like uh after he comes back to life after three days, he's been sewn up and all of this stuff by the cremation specialist. He like steps on a little piece of glass and you realize he has to cut his mouth open because it's been sh- sewn oh, shut yeah, yeah, and like yeah. the sound yeah. of him cutting his mouth stitches open so he can like talk and breathe mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. per- it's like oh yeah, <laughs> it, 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 yeah. hor- it is horrific <laughs> it's a really yeah. good sound effect yeah yeah most funniest, funniest moment, moment.
0: So, I already said mine. Mine is, uh, yeah, Angel sitting in his cramped space, picking his feet, listening to his <laughs> plastic surgery tapes and screaming his head off. Mm, so, that's yeah, me. Yeah, well, I mean,
1: mine was the morgue scene. Just hilarious. Mm. Like, I loved uh, it. Um, it's so yeah. funny. Yeah, the mortician. Is, I think the, the, the funniest part is when he's spending all his time, you know, with the scene, It looks awful and he's just <laughs> dabbing it. And there's, like apprentice or whoever, it's like, oh, it looks great, it looks amazing. Like, does it? Does it look good? Um, and, yeah. then, and then he and then he says, oh, it's gonna be a cremation though. And then he's the, like, the what am I doing? Like, what? I've been spending all this time for nothing, and he's just gonna get burnt. <laughs> oh, yeah, really, really co- good comic timing.
3: Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's beautiful. I like. Uh, I I had mine tied between that and the running gag of him wanting to get his nose remade oh uh, yeah yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> i just mm. thought that was so clever um and it also is like thematically important too not a lot of like good comedy that also has like a point uh mm, you sure. know so yeah 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 thought yeah. that was great
0: and that's all mooblies yeah. hello
1: this is mikey newman from film joy and you're listening to movie oubliette Okay, it's final verdict time. first one of 2023. Should Guillermo del Toro's Kronos escape the Oubliette and live forever with its porcelain skin and be adored by the world? Or should it be punched to death by a tuxedoed Ron Pillman shoved off a cliff and plummet to the darkest depths of the Oubliette lost forever? Isaac, our, uh, our guest for today... First episode of 2023, Kronos, did you love it?
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I I really, really enjoy this movie. Um, you know, it's its flaws are there, right? It's got flaws just like any movie has has flaws. Mm. Um But the heart of this movie and the complexities of this movie just shine right through all of the bad bits for me. <laughs> hmm. And uh, when I watch it, I'm just kind of like, wow, it's incredible that this dude was out the gate casting this same vision. Um, hmm. I I find that if this movie was his like sixth movie, right. I don't know if I would have as much of an appreciation for it as I do. I, I think Kronos is a, is a great little piece. And especially if you're a fan of, Guillermo del Toro's works, um, we should set it free so that you can experience the origin point, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think it's
1: fascinating to watch, uh, a director's first movies and see how it's sort of blossomed from here. And he's really, he really had a lot of intention and a lot of like, uh, sort of obvious goals and what he wanted to, um, portray in this movie and characters and, and dynamics. It, and it, yeah, he he's known for sort of making the monster not the bad guy as well. It's always the humans are the bad guys. Mm. It's not the creatures, and it's 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 really interesting watching his films. He's always pushing boundaries, and Cronos is 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 still is still pushing boundaries. It's still a pretty weird movie to watch even now, um, and yeah, it has flaws, but I don't know the characters. <laughs> you know, as long as you got good characters, it doesn't matter. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and guys dressed as clocks. That's all, all I wanted. Yeah. You know. Where's my clockman <laughs> spin-off
3: film, Del Toro? I feel <laughs> promised. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, set a free. Set a free.
0: Oh. Well, I'm more conflicted about it because I could see a lot of the flaws. There are a lot of inconsistencies in tone. There are a lot of narrative holes in there. There are some things that don't make an awful lot of sense. There are some obvious um, resource restrictions in terms of the budget and the quality. That affects the quality of the movie in a lot of ways. I couldn't help but see that, you know, as Del Toro says, he's setting up his, his universe, but so many elements would crop up again in future films, and be better mm. like you know the the young girl trying to make her way through a dark time surrounded by insectile fantasy creatures and you know that's going to crop up again in mm. pan's labyrinth the mute character and the monster is the shape of water and all of those are, are such better films and it's it's you know it's difficult you look at this and you think yeah, i can see where he's going but, you know, when you compare it to the rest of his oeuvre... It's oh, stupid <laughs> word, but, you know, it's pretentious word. I don't know, it's difficult. When I compare it to the rest of Del Toro, it, it, I would throw it back in. But when I compare it to other films coming out in early 1990s, yeah. it clearly has to be saved. Yeah. And for anybody who is an enthusiast, it's an important piece to watch, mm. even if it doesn't quite measure up to everything that would come yeah. after it. So. I think on balance, I'd let it go. I think it's just because he's so damn good <laughs> that it looks... It pales in comparison. Mm, yeah. yeah. That's mm-hmm, trouble. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, And of course, uh, we must also bring in our, our mid-to-top-tier ah. patrons because new this year, our patrons get to vote as well. And uh, uh, drumroll... Their conclusion was that they that we should set it free as <laughs> ah. well. But it was not a clean sweep. Ooh, okay. It was kind of two-thirds one way, one-third another way. Okay. So Chazilla said, love Guillermo del Toro's work. First time I've seen Cronus. I'm sure it was packed full of symbolism and hidden meanings, but holy hell did it cure my insomnia. <laughs> Leave it in the Uriette. <gasps> wow. I think uh. it was a bit slower
1: paced than... Mm. Uh, yeah than sort of other movies. Um, so mm, I can understand, maybe.
3: Mm, no, slightly. I disagree.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Much respect, though. Glad you're supporting the Oobliette.
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh, whereas Eddie said, I'm a huge fan of Kronos. So, yeah, it's... Mm. It's not a clear-cut thing. It's not a clear-cut thing at all. But yes, thanks for voting, patrons. Mm, Yes, thank you. uh, If you would like to vote, then head on over to Patreon and join us. Yes, yes, yes. So I guess that means that we're letting it go. Yeah. Hooray! (laughs) Let me just shake it loose from this statue. (laughs) Off you go.
2: Mine! Everything is
0: all mine! Well, thanks so much, Isaac, for joining us again. It's been wonderful to start the year with you as our guide to this early Del Toro work. Where can people follow you and follow your thoughts on other oh,
3: things well thank you for having me on. <laughs> uh as I always say it's it's so great to see you guys every single time. If you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Isaac LastName there. Or you know you can check out my YouTube channel, also Isaac LastName not the pregnancy one, <laughs> just the, <laughs> the one that looks like a genuine man. <laughs> okay. Two Isaac last names. What is weird? What is not? Um, and then I have that video game melee mythos YouTube channel as well. I wanted to separate my thoughts on movies and my thoughts on video games a little bit. So melee, like you're fighting somebody and mythos, like it's the Greek mythos. <laughs> so I Thank know. you. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity to plug my my garbage, y'all. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> it
1: was highly entertaining garbage. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to follow our garbage, our future garbage, you can, <laughs> you can find us. <laughs> we shouldn't no. say
0: that Isaac's responsible for <laughs> our garbage. <laughs> <laughs> you can
1: find us on all socials: uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, as movie ubliet. And you can email us directly to talk about how garbage our. Our stuff is uh at at gmail.com
2: Oh jeez <laughs>
0: And if you would like to support the show, head on over to Patreon, where for a dollar you get access to extended clips from our main episodes, and you can nominate and vote on films for us to cover in future. And for $5, you get to vote on whether the film stays in the oubliette or is set free, as well as getting access to our exclusive monthly minisodes and extended versions of our interviews with special guests. Yes. Yes. And finally, there's the $10 slot where you get to be an executive producer of the show and get access to all the behind-the-scenes making-ofs. And, uh, yes, so I should thank Chazilla, Eddie Coulter, and one Isaac Sutton oh, for being what? in that category. <laughs> Who's that guy? <laughs> <laughs> so mm, thanks to our executive producers. Oh, Great to have yes, you on board. Yes,
3: yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, we also have
0: merchandise at bubble.
1: Uh, you know, all the all the stuff. And we have a YouTube channel as well. We do. Uh, lots of cool video essays on there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Marvellous.
1: Okay, Conrad, what's in store for our second episode of 2023?
0: Well, yes, our Patreon supporters have been voting on this too. So our very next episode will be a 1983 American-Canadian space western entitled... Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone (laughs) That's
3: an amazing title
0: (laughs) Doesn't it just It stars Peter Strauss, Molly Ringwald, Ernie Hudson and Michael Ironside Right Right. (laughs) Spoilers, he's the villain So, yes, can't wait to dip mm, into some 80s off. sci-fi cheese. Yes.
1: Yes, I hope it's as good as Battle Beyond the Stars. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, well thanks for being with us again, Isaac. Until next time.
3: Alright. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye bye. the
2: movie
1: Senor Greece. Now I have to kill you again.